Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back, everyone. We have a fantastic co-host today. Not that my lovely wife, Julie, isn't equally, if not more so fantastic. I'm not saying that. I know she's listening in, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> but we, No, Julie, you're muted, so you can't yell at me, and they can't hear you yelling at me. So uh, we have a very special guest. His name is David Kurz, and David is a friend of mine. Um, he's an absolute legend in the South Florida, Miami real estate market, one of the most respected brokers and agents and you know, this guy is an absolute real estate rock star. You hear a lot of people throwing around colorful terms and words about, you know, people, oh, this person's a legend, this person's a mega agent. But what do those things actually mean? Well, you know, you kind of put them into context when you meet somebody like David. This guy is an absolute rock star. So I'm so excited to have David as my co-host today. So, David, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. I'm having, this is going to be a blast. I'm excited about this. Well, let's just jump in what everyone's talking about, because this is something that's been all over the Internet. Everyone's focused on this. Um, actually, I want to talk about two things primarily. What is going on in the real estate market in Miami? Give us an update. I tell people on uh, a lot of the country, just to put this in context, this is a you know, this podcast as a national audience. Twenty to you know, Maybe this podcast gets 30,000 streams and downloads. We have agents in all different parts of the world now. We have you know, people, listeners in Guam, Canada, and a lot of them, when I talk about the changing real estate market, they don't understand. They're like, what are you talking about? We're still in the seller's market. And then I say, well, maybe what's happening in Miami, maybe what's happening in New York, maybe what's happening in some of the hottest markets in California are going to affect your market someday soon because that's the cycle that the national market does have a tendency to follow. The big markets go slow faster than the, than the smaller markets. So what's going on in Miami? Yeah, I think Miami's market and what what you're talking about is is significant because I, I don't really think that people understand that what happens in other markets eventually gets everywhere else, right? So Miami typically is one of the last markets to see changes, believe it or not. Um, and and I want to be clear, Miami is not Florida. Miami's in Florida, but Miami is not Florida. Miami's in a world uh, by itself. It, it, it lives in its own space and bubble, right? Um, Miami's market is still good. Um, we have a very good market. I would say that our market is segmented in, in uh, very different sections. I would assume like most major cities uh, where you have lower income homes and lower income in Miami is like 200000 to 400000 right? Um, then we have the middle grade and then we have the luxury and then we have the ultra luxury. Ultra luxury is like at a screaming halt right? Um, the luxury market is very slow. Like if I'm listing a three, four, five million dollar property, it may possibly sit on the market for 18 months to 20 months. Um, whereas the market in the 600,000 to million dollar range is moving significantly well. Um, and when I say significantly well, I don't want people to think that I can put something on the market and it'll sell tomorrow. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a normal six to eight month, you know, rotation. And then, you know, the, the, the lower end market, the 200,000, the 250, that market moves like fire. And just simply because there's a lot more buyers for it. Um, and buyers can be, buyers are extremely smart right now. Uh, so they're not jumping on things or overpaying for anything. Um, so s- sellers have to be very smart on how they're pricing their, their homes. If you, I don't care. We, we had a, a house that I was watching that was listed at 370, um, knowing daggone well, it wasn't going to sell for any more than 340. And, uh, and sat on the market. No one's going to overpay for that house. It sat on the market until they changed the price, of course. And now it's got all kinds of activity. So when did the market change? And the second question I have for you is where are the price brackets? Rob Johnson, for example, Greenwich, Connecticut, number one agent in Greenwich, number one agent in New York City with his uh, company, Halstead, um, coaching client, long time, had, you know, he's going to close $130 million. In his marketplace, 
you, he said anything above three million is an aspirational purchase. That's somebody who doesn't have to buy. It's more of a statement right. of their success kind of thing. Okay, so where are the price brackets, and when did the market start to change in Miami? Well, I mean, look, the price brackets are, are you know, we have a luxury and we have an ultra luxury. And so if you want to do luxury by definition, not by Miami definition, 750 and above, right? Um, in Miami definition, 1.5 and above. Uh, but then that's about to five. And then we have brackets that are in the 10, 20, $30 million. We just did a, a tour of a $39 million house on the water in Miami. Those are markets where people don't have to buy. And you're absolutely right. And they don't, don't even, it's not even a necessity. And these are, you know, uh, uh, buyers that have five, six, seven, eight other homes around the world. Uh, we did a tour of 11,000 square foot uh, penthouse condo uh, that just hit the market. And that one's for sale for $22 million, uh, just reduced, by the way, in case you're interested. And, uh, <laughs> but that's the guy's, like, eighth home, right? <clears throat> and so, you know, after he designed the home and he spent millions and millions of dollars, even flew to Japan to personally inspect the speakers that were going to be installed in the condo, and then he never lived in it. And and now he's now it's up on the market for sale. These are the kinds of things that that happen a lot in the luxury and ultra luxury market here in Miami. Now, let me be clear about something else. Miami has a lot of wealth and a lot of money. Um, Miami's one of the top places for millionaire millennials, believe it or not. Um, so there are a lot of homes here that, in the million dollar to million point five, sell well as long as they're well-priced and they're in the, in the, in the right neighborhood of Miami because Miami's very uh, segmented in different neighborhoods. Um, as long as they're priced well, they're going to move. So, you know, it, it, like where the aspir- aspirational purchase is over two and maybe, you know, in Connecticut here, I would say it's over four, you know, it's a stronger yeah, market it- in those areas. Yeah. Let's, so let's take a half step back. You said this a couple of times, and I think our listeners will be interested in it, to know more about this. You said Miami is in Florida, but it's not Florida. Miami is its own thing, completely you know, devoid of any attachment to the surrounding geography. Can you drill down on that and why that's true? Sure. Miami is Miami's an attraction place. It's kind of like uh, people buy in Orlando as a second home if they visit Disney a lot. People buy in Miami as a second, third, fourth, fifth home because Miami is the only place in the country that's going to stay 85 degrees in the middle of January, right? It really is. Like if we just drive two hours north of here into central Florida, temperature changes right away. If you go into northern Florida, they have what we consider to be cold at nights, 40 degrees, 50 degrees, right? Um, and so, you know, being being a U.S. city that has that kind of temperament and temperature creates a different environment, creates a different vibe. Our beaches are open all the time. Our, our uh, rhythm is really strong here. Our economics are great because a lot of companies are leaving places like New York and L.A. and coming to Miami for the tax benefits. There's no, there's no state tax here. Um, you know, so we have, you know, our downtown is very strong with, the, with, the, with Wall Street market kind of companies. Um, you know, our beaches are still very strong and have always been for a very long time. Um, but Miami has grown up a lot too. So we have arts districts, we have design districts, we have high-end stores, we have, I mean, everything you could imagine over the last five years, um, Miami has made significant growth and changes. It's it almost like, like it stopped being a teenager and became an adult all of a sudden. So now you cross uh, we the have border plans- to Broward County and to right. Fort Lauderdale, very different world, completely different world. It's not the melting pot that Miami is. The beaches are very mm-hmm. different. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a completely different world. So, and, and it's funny because in Miami, we, you know, we joke about that. Like, you automatically instantly know when you cross the border between counties. Well, I won't ask for specifics on that. I, I do remember when Julie and I lived in uh, part-time in Laguna Beach. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. It's the attitude yeah. of the people, but the people <laughs> actually start to dress differently. They look different. It is weird. It, 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 it's very strange yeah. in areas like what you're describing, how really obviously different one area is to the next. If you're from, if you're listening right now, listeners, and you're listening in a place where, like, where Julie and I are from in the Midwest or David's originally from New York – you know, you don't really – you didn't grow up around that, so it's not really it's not really discernible. 
but it's at certain part like Miami and others other other parts of the of the country people are really drilled down on like I remember in Laguna David you'll appreciate this people would with pride say they were for nine what was it n- n- I don't remember what was 92651 or whatever the zip code was they would literally have t-shirts right. made saying I live in Orange County they'd have it just it was crazy <laughs> you know yeah so <laughs> I get it but it's it's also fun to be able to sell in a market like that because you can then – it's easier almost to understand the different nuances. And once you've essentially established some level of expertise in the marketplace, it's difficult for a new agent really to come in there and compete with you because you do know all the little nuanced things. It's almost sort of like you could take all the new approaches to real- – yeah, I mean like the buildings, for example. Let's talk about condo buildings. Um, we have a lot of coaching clients that sell in Miami, and I know that they are dealing with some of these condos that just basically are not selling because they're oversaturated. No, the developers, are, you know, so what, like, in a market like that where you have uh, a buyer that comes to town, let's say they want to buy a $600,000 condo, they go to the MLS and they see all this new construction that's sitting there. They see the resales that are sitting there. Uh, how do you work someone through the fear of catching a falling knife? So we we educate them on the different areas. You know, um, just like Miami itself is is a different market than just, you know, our our sister up north, Fort Lauderdale, uh, which is literally 45 minutes away. Miami is also very segmented. So Doral is very different than Kendall. Kendall is very different than downtown. Downtown is very Mm -hmm. different than Brickell, where the only thing that separates the two is a very tiny drawbridge, right? And so when when you can educate your client on the different areas and make it, you know, completely understandable that they would be nervous. You search the internet, you go to, you know, one of these online websites, you type in 550 to 600 Miami condo, you're going to get thousands of listings. They're like Sunny Isles, for instance, is up north in Miami. It's still Miami. They've got an 18 year supply of condos right now. And Sunny Isles is a tiny, tiny, tiny little city in Miami, right? Or municipality in Miami. But they bu- they built all these crazy condos. That's where the Porsche Tower is. That's where mm. now here's the crazy part. Eighteen year supply, prices haven't started to come down too much yet. Like they've come down some, but not what you would expect because people still desire the area. So when a buyer comes, it's more about I want to live in Sunny Isles. Now explain the buildings to me. What's the difference between, you know, th- this tower and that tower, the Trump or the Porsche or you know? And and I think that's where we can better age, educate our clients. We have to really talk to them about why are you moving to Miami? Where are you trying to live? What are you trying to do here? Where do you work? We don't want you to get stuck in, you know, two hours of traffic to get to do a 15-minute ride, you know? Uh, so it, 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 I, I don't try to guarantee that prices are not going to change. We'd be silly to do that. No, no agent should ever promise anything like that. But we let them know, look, this is this area. This is the history of this area. This is the direction this area is going. Like if somebody's moving to Brickle, Brickle is very, very, very strong right now. Downtown is on its way, but it's nowhere near as strong as Brickle. And these are two minutes apart from each other. You see what I'm saying? Uh, Miami oh, totally. Beach yeah. Bro- yeah, Miami Beach is broken down. You've got south of Fifth, also known as Sophie, which is literally Fifth Avenue to First Avenue, right, in, in Miami Beach is a completely different world from 5th Avenue to 22nd Avenue in Miami Beach, which is known as South Beach. And then you have Mid Beach, North Beach, Sunny Isles, uh, you know, and all, all these different areas. And I think that it's really about finding out what the lifestyle of the client is and then helping them get into the right building that suits them specifically. And at the end of the day, as long as you're happy where you live, and you're close to work or you're close to whatever lifestyle you're choosing, whether it be I want to be on the beach all day or I want to be able to walk to a city restaurant, um, you know, that's that's where we educate them. Can I guarantee that they won't buy something and it would be worth half of it in five years? There's no way I can guarantee that. What I can guarantee is that if it goes down, it's going to come back up. It's just – it's real estate. It's been like that for centuries. That's exactly the – You described it perfectly, and at the end of the day, people need a place to live. The thing that a lot of agents have yet to realize, most agents, David, as I'm sure you know, still are trying to sell real estate out of scarcity, right? If you don't buy it, somebody else will. 
like in your market, probably a $250,000 price range. That's the, if you don't buy it, somebody else will price range, you know. But when you start getting into these more, you know, expensive houses where there's a lot of competing inventory, agents, if you don't know how to sell real estate based on like what he just said, you're going to lose a lot of potential deals and you also lose a lot of potential listings too. At the end of the day, people need a place to live and you always have a housing expense, whether you're paying rent or whether you're paying a mortgage. Um, and just you're going to have to – well, here's an interesting question. How frequently does somebody make a decision purchasing a house in this market based on hypothetical upside appreciation? Is that even a dominant decision-making factor? Like is it top five or top three or top ten? Not not even. I, I mean, honestly, yep. no one's no one's buying here with the thought process that they're going to, like, make a ton of money buying this property. Like, it, it just it doesn't exist. Like, are there, there's, there's like, even flipping has become very rare here because even yeah. a lot to buy, build a house on, you can't flip it, you know? Um, so that, that's become very rare here. Um, it, it just, it, it just doesn't exist. People are buying here because they want to be here. And that's, they that's want the to beauty buy of Miami. And yeah. once, once they, right. So that's what I was going to lead to is they, we sell a lifestyle here. We don't. We're not selling units. We're not selling houses. We sell a lifestyle. Right now, I'm 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 in the middle of Coral Gables, which is beautiful, beautiful city in Miami. And Coral Gables is known for its luxurious look. It's you know very proud municipality and small government that really keeps Coral Gables looking the way it does. It's surrounded by the Biltmore and the Biltmore Golf Course and the history behind this city right here. People move here because they want to be in Coral Gables. No one comes to Miami from Canada and says, I'm moving to Coral Gables. No, they say, I'm going to Miami Beach or I'm going downtown. New Yorkers want to live in, Brick in Brickle because it resembles. It's like being in Manhattan, but with sunny weather all the time, right? So, and then when, when you get to that, it gets even deeper into lifestyle. Like, <clears throat> every building is significantly different. Like, the Porsche Tower, you drive your car into an elevator the elevator takes your car up to your condo, and then you park it right in front of your door. Like, who needs that? No one needs that, but people want Oh, now, that. come on now. Do you get what I'm saying? I need that. I need that in my life. <laughs> Send me your three favorite you know? ones. I'm going to tell Julie to pick one out. No, that sounds good. I like that. <laughs> but, you know, but how awesome is that, right? Like, there, there's things like yeah. that. Zaha Hadid, you know, uh, her, you know, uh, rest in peace, um, amazing architect, her, her, last project was right here in Miami and at 1000 museum, the, the, you, there's a bunch of buildings you can live in in downtown, but 1000 museum is like top of the line, helipad on the roof. Uh, you know, uh, the service, the design, the, the concierge, the, the front door, the valet, everyone, the way everyone approaches you, it's so high end and top notch that it's very different than the neighbor next door that just has a completely different feel to it. You know, and so once now you're really dialing it onto somebody's lifestyle. I'm going to share this with listeners. This is something that um, it's it's a I think a pivot in the way people think about real estate. And you're hearing David describe it when and I'm going to use a very high end luxury sort of comparable to what we're you know, because that's really what we're talking about. And some of you have been meandering thinking I want to get into the upper end market and whatever that is in your market or others of you are already in there. What you've got to accept the fact is that when you're purchasing something like this, like what we've been talking about, it's a luxury purchase. Now, here's the little – I have, I have issue with this, what I'm about to say as well, but this is the reality of it. People who are purchasing luxury items in general don't ap expect appreciation. Matter of fact, they expect depreciation. Don't believe me? Depreciation. Here's an example. You go out and buy a new luxury car, and let's say the luxury car is over $100,000. With, like, zero exceptions, that car is going to lose value. And a crap ton of it, half of it in, in you know four, uh, four years. And when you're in Miami, you see wall-to-wall -wall Rolls Royces and Bentleys, and you see all the fanciest, most expensive stuff you can possibly imagine. And people just you know leave them outside. They're just they're just treated as luxury items. That's what they are. They're disposable luxury items. I'm not saying real they're estate toys. is kind of falling. They're toys. That's right. And that's kind of what we're describing here even though this is a place you live. So people are purchasing real estate in some of these luxury markets not based on the, um, you know, 
not, frankly, not based on the old rules of assuming you're going to get appreciation. They're buying it for lifestyle, and they're making their money in other places. And a lot of the people that David's working with in a lot of these upper-end markets, a lot of this money, well, of course, I know it. I think it's not as like, like it was five years ago with a lot of Brazilians and whatnot, but you're dealing with a ton of international buyers, people that might float in on their yacht, pick the best $10 million condo, then float out and go back to Paris or something. I mean, that, that's the kind so of market not, that is – We've even had a shift on that because the dollar's so strong um, that we've even had a shift in that. The majority of our wealth is coming from the Northeast, believe it or not. Um, we used to be a strong South American attraction, right? But Venezuela's in trouble, Colombia's in trouble, all these all these companies are in trouble. They're not moving their money here anymore, not the way they used to. I mean, Venezuela came in strong when they could, and they built a, a whole city. Like, the route is Venezuela. You know, yeah, um, and and it's beautiful, and they sell one million dollar houses that literally have like a uh, walking room between them, like they're they're just one on top of the other cookie Back. cutter houses, and they're a million bucks, you know. Um, but that's changed to the, the people from the northeast that want are flocking down here. You know, uh, I've got clients from from Greenwich, from Connecticut, who have bought condos down here because their kids are in sailing teams, you know. And literally, like, I, would, I have about six clients that have bought condos down here already in Coconut Grove because the condo building is directly across the street from the, from the Coconut Grove Sailing Club. And <laughs> they may visit 12 to 15 times a year for a weekend Yeah. just so the kid, their kids can compete in the sailing club. It's insane. You know, so it's just – and New Yorkers are coming down here. Businesses are moving down here for the tax benefits, and they're bringing their businesses to Brickell, and the people that are coming for the business are buying in the Brickell area, in the condo market, or they're buying single-family homes in Cocoa Plum, in, you know, Miami Beach, uh, the Venetian Islands. Like, there's so much. Like, I mean, you know, when we talk about this house that's on Star Island for $39 million, like, the house was originally – uh, built as the yacht club for Star Island, okay? So you can imagine what this house looks like and the history behind it. Um, the guy who built the house also built Fisher Island, which is a completely private island that you have to ferry to. You, you drive on the ferry with your car and you ferry to the island. You know, people want to live in Fisher Island. They want to be on Star Island for very specific reasons. Think about the small pool of buyers that is in a 39-point five million dollar house capability you know it's fun though right so so listen you yeah, watch so the real much fun the world. guy next door and the guy the guy next door invented viagra like just to put you know gloria stefan lives on the island puff daddy lives on the mm -hmm. island like this these are the people living on this island you know so you rocked the real estate world specifically it was all over the news all over in and all over everywhere and especially in southern uh Florida, when you decided you were a prominent REMAX broker, one of the top REMAX brokers in the nation, and you decided to move your entire operation over to EXP, David, what the heck were you so thinking? I, so I, I wasn't with REMAX. I wasn't with REMAX. I was, a, I was an Indian. Before that, I was with one oh, of that's the top right. teams at Douglas Element. Yeah, yeah. So right. I was at Douglas Element for, for a time now. I was number three top, top team at, at Element in my area. Um, and then we decided to open up an indie brokerage. We grew in three years to 200 agents, <clears throat> and we were killing it, man. We were doing great. <clears throat> and that question that you just asked me right now, uh, what the heck were you thinking, is exactly what's happening to everyone. Like I get that question five times a day now. And, and it's such a great question because there's so many things I was thinking. Like, number one, I love to teach I love to coach. I love to enhance agents. I love to recruit. I love to hold classes. You know, I have a conference. I like to speak on stages. Like, those are my favorite things to do in the whole wide world. You know what I hate? Ethics meetings, lawsuits, um, uh, uh, payroll. I hate payroll. I really do. Uh, commission checks, <laughs> problems with commissions, final HUDs. Uh, closing statements, I, I, I hate that stuff. I love real estate. And so I, in, in with EXP, it was kind of genius for me. I was a 9010 company, um, and I get a lot of people calling me now like from EXP. They're like, hey, how do we attract brokerages? Like, what made you do this? I said, just do the math with them. 
right? We were 90-10 brokerage across the board. Um, after you take away all the expenses of running a brokerage, I was lucky to get 2% an agent. Well, and so let's, now, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Because I, I share that with listeners all the time, and I know that a lot of them roll their eyes. And, the, and you know, you've done this math before. I've done this math on the podcast. People have got to understand what the hell you just said. So let's just reframe this. The average real estate broker in the country is making less than two or three percent total, and that's before their own. That, that's like yeah. that's before taxes. You guys don't understand how unprofitable these really phenomenal brokerages have become. Um, and when they see the numbers like that, you, you know. It's, well, let me ask you a question, David. Were you avoiding the truth about how really how the the margins have been were so pinched out of your own brokerage? I, I was. Did you know? I wouldn't say I was avoiding. I wasn't say I was avoiding the truth. I think I knew. I knew. You know what my biggest issue was? Very honestly, Tim, ego. Huh. Right. My name is That's David awesome. Kurz. Talk about that. I built Kurz Real Estate. Like. Everyone knows me. People don't even call me David anymore. I walk around. I walk into a networking event. People go, Kurz, what's up? Like, my name is synonymous with successful real estate in Miami. It's an, an amazing feeling. You know, it's synonymous in Florida as for, you know, being around and coaching and training and doing the stuff that I do that I enjoy doing. And, and like, ego was so, played such a major role in how long it took me to make the decision. The second that I was able to move ego aside and say, how much faster can I get to where I really want to be by joining Stop the there. Listen, you, you, so you said the ego statement, again, a, uh, an omnipresent topic on this podcast, but I want, I want you to describe what you mean by that so they understand. Again, we have a huge audience. Oh. So when you say, when you say your ego is standing in the way, I, I'll decipher what I think you said, and then you tell me whether I'm right, okay, just to save time. Okay. You're telling me that you thought that if you gave up your identity as a successful real estate broker because you'd become brokered by EXP, that somehow you would be seen as less than in the marketplace that you put so much effort and pride into having built this reputation. Is that pretty much encapsulated? It's a million percent that. It's what will people say? They will look at David and go, oh, well, I guess he failed. So he had to join the brokerage, right? And that that would spin around in my head. I, I'll be honest with you, like for three or four weeks before we transitioned over, I may have gotten five hours of sleep in three weeks. Like I didn't sleep. <laughs> I, was, I was having nightmares. I, I mean, it just, it was so big for me. And, and you know, I mean, again, David Kurz opens Kurz Real Estate, does great things in Miami. And then all of a sudden, three years later, like after all the success, oh, by the way, we just, you know, emergency XP. And so, well, you did and, it, and it, but you did it because it was a, you did it because it was the best thing for your agents. And you knew at the end of the day, there's no way that, I mean, you had a fan, you know, the whole thing you, that you've done is incredible, one of the best in the country. But the reality of it was is the value proposition that EXP was offering to agents on a whole, it's almost impossible for a small, medium, or even a large – well, nobody can really compete with what they're offering agents. So you must no. have ultimately did this. It's, yeah, you must have ultimately did this because you realized it was the best thing for your agents. And I know you well enough to know that you're a sincerely caring – you know, you guys can listen to this guy. You've listened to him for the past bit of time here, and you, you can get a sense of the quality of person he is. So you did this I'll definitely you, for I, the betterment I, of your agents. But also, did, did the whole idea – how did you move past the ego aspect and start – and what was the thing that actually pulled you over? Were there, were there two or three dominant thoughts that finally got you past the ego anchor that you had basically uh, – that was self-imposed? Well, it's what you said. I remember in, in every single one of my, my recruiting me meetings with agents that joined Kurz Real Estate and the agents that were successful with us and the ones that were loyal to us, I sat in front of them and I said, I'm going to help you grow and build a great business for yourself. Anything you need, let me know. And once I was able, like, when, when ego was getting in the way, I was like, yeah, but is ego helping my agents? Is what I'm going through helping my team? Is And, and, and the answer was no, right? And does that mean that we didn't provide benefits as an indie? Of course we did, and that's why we did well. But we couldn't compete with what EXP was offering. So now I'm in a position to do all the fun stuff that I love about real estate, sell houses, you know, uh, work with my agents, help them grow their businesses, and they all get to do the same thing too, right? 
they all get to build businesses for themselves. They all get to build this residual income. They get to sell houses. They get to have a cap. They don't have to pay me forever anymore, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it just, all of a sudden, the anchor of ego moved out of the way. And I said, I have to do this for them. And that was okay, huge so let me for ask, me. And that's what, let me ask a question. That's what made it let me so ask a question. easy to sit one-on-one and work them all over to EXP. It, it took almost no effort. A lot of brokers are sitting on the fence and they're listening to what you say and they totally you, they get it. They they understand that their margins suck. They understand that they're selling, still selling real estate and a lot of their own profits from their own transactions are going to supporting the real estate brokerage. I know a lot of this stuff you, you probably don't want to think about anymore, but that I'm sure resonates with you. But here's what holds a lot of them back. They need that 10%. You were in a 90 10% 90 10% split. I'm sure not all of your agents were very productive. You know, it's a normal brokerage. I'm sure you had a it – it usually works out that, you know, the 20% are supporting the rest of it, just the normal cycle of things. But right. the big fear that I hear from a lot of brokers is that if they split, they don't have the cash to uh, downscale out of their brokerage uh, fixed costs while the revenue share from EXP increases because they're going to lose the commission splits that their agents are paying them now. How did you, how did you work through that? And that, That's a meat and potatoes question, but I'm curious to see how you did it because you are the second largest brokerage that EXP has brought over. I, I think you probably know that. So how did you work through that yeah. financially? Um, I, I, so some things I won't mention because they're, you know, they're, they're I guess, you know, private between Confidential. me sure. and EXP. Right. So, but, but I, I would say that uh, I understood that I needed to uh, build my team back up. So I spent the last six months building my team back up. Um, my wife used to run the team. She moved into mortgages and I, I took over the team six months ago with the intention of this transfer. And we started creating a machine with my team. So my team sells homes now so I can support myself um, and my family. And I have, some money to support the transition to move over. So I get what brokers are thinking. I get what they're going through. I need that 10% in order to survive. I would say to them, sit down and think about everything you can turn off tomorrow if you no longer had agents. Like every system you provide, everything that you can turn off, how much money do you no longer have to put out? Because that mentality comes from the idea or from the, from the issue of not knowing what their expenses truly are. And if they That's could right. dial down on that, if I gave up my brick and mortar, if I gave up my, and I kept mine, by the way, I kept my office. So if I gave up my brick and mortar, I gave up, you know, uh, 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 the back end office system, the, you know, the CRM, the website, the this, the that, like all this stuff that, that you provide. I mean, my agents had apps, they had, you know, a uh, broker mint, they had, you know, you name it. And cutting the emails, emails, my email expense was over a thousand dollars a month. Like just, Turning off emails, I saved a thousand bucks a month, right? So, doing all of that, how now look at the numbers and does it really truly affect you horribly? And I think that's a sit down conversation. And if anybody wants to have a private conversation with that, I'd be happy, like me, you connect with them and, and, you know, have a more private conversation on, on how we did some of the stuff that we did and how we were able to make the transition. It's not easy, but. You have to stop thinking short term and start thinking long term. You have to stop thinking, you know, so so short sighted. Like what's going to happen in the next thirty or sixty days? My question to you, you is if you transition and you do a good job at this, right, and you take advantage of everything that EXP offers, what does six months to a year look like for you? And then compare well, that to what six months to a year looks like for you as an indie. The or same broken. or worse if the economy noticeably changes. That's the truth. Yeah. Right. Well, so those right. of you are interested in having those, those of you are interested in having those conversations, just text the word EXP to three one nine nine six. Text the word EXP to three one nine nine six. You'll be texted back a, a seven minute video that goes over the. Essentially, it's a very, it's a good quick drill down on what EXP is all about. And then a lot of you are going to want to take the conversation to the next level, and we'll call you and we'll have that conversation. I'll get David on the phone with you. So David, so yeah. the harder part was the harder part wasn't the financial transition. It sounded like that was just sort of like the the spreadsheet aspect of this. The hard part really was the right. getting past the ego and worrying about how people perceived you. And that's that's when you and I actually first met each other is when we were talking through that process. Because I went something very right. similar when Julie and I aligned our coaching company. I mean, it's basically the same process. And when I finally realized it was ego, the, as painful as it was to admit that, it's, it is the truth. But here's the cool thing. 
I saw your sign for your location, and it still says Kerr's Real Estate. It just says broker. It says Kerr's Real sure Estate, does. and it says brokered by EXP. So you, the thing that you were fearful of losing, you didn't lose, <laughs> right? I didn't lose it. I didn't lose it. Yeah. I kept my brand. We switched it up a little bit. Um, uh, it looks great, by the way. My brand has been with me for, for years, and so we went from the Kerr's team right, to Kerr's Real Estate, and now we're Kerr's Enterprise brokered by EXP. And and you know we created Curse Enterprise because I intend to grow our network or or my downline significantly through the agents that we came with. So I'm going to be working with them hard as nails to to help them grow all their businesses, therefore growing mine, right? And 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 that's going to be the Curse Enterprise. That's going to be the network, and I want to be able to provide and do more for them than anybody else, and that's going to be my contribution to, to the growth process, you know? Let's and have, so, let's so have a conversation. We got our sign. But you, you just said something, okay, and it's really important. So let's have a conversation, and this is going to be a little bit higher level than what maybe some of you are ready to hear, but it's interesting because he just said something that's really critical, especially for the brokers of you out there listening. So what he just said is basically he realizes, and we're going to talk strictly dollars and cents here, okay? We're going to talk about money. So those of you get slightly offended talking about money, then just suck it up, buttercup, because that's where we're going. What he did, and you can all do this too, is he did a spreadsheet, and he, he, I'm sure he did because I know you work with Kevin Cottrell, who is phenomenal. You guys probably did, like, worst case, most conservative growth projections of your revenue share. Uh, we don't need to talk numbers. We shouldn't, but we're going to talk about essentially just being a broker versus the revenue share over the same amount of time. So when you did that, I imagine you determined that even off moderate to slow growth, nothing phenomenal, no home run hitters, you know, nobody's going to, you know, just normal base hitter types. Those are the people you attract, and you kick, your, you kick butt. You do a phenomenal job supporting them. How long does it take for the revenue, the hypothetical revenue from revenue share, to uh, meet what you are making from the brokerage and then exceed what you're making from the brokerage? Do you remember? Six months to meet, eight months to exceed. That's, see, that's the thing that people don't quite understand. Now, and you had a big brokerage. How many, people did you move, how many people did you bring over to EXP? Do you remember the number? Uh, yes. So we started with 200. Um, right now we're at 117, and we should be done around 165. We okay, still have good. people and that the, are stragglers for deals or whatever. Sure, of course. And the ones that didn't transition, why didn't they transition? The ones that didn't decide to move over, why did they decide not to move over? If if there were 20 or 30 people that didn't move over, let's use the number 30, um, two of them didn't move over because they were uh, skeptical about the 80-20. Right, they they're short short sighted again. No matter how many times you, we explained it to them and how they could make so much more money, it just didn't click. Uh, so they went they went off to 100% companies, um, and then the uh, large majority of them just weren't selling. And for one reason or another, you know, one lady, her mom was sick. She just wasn't selling. She's taking care of mom. Like, you know, a lot of different reasons. Uh, but the majority of the people that did not come over were not in the business, and and also in my bottom 40% of producers for the company. So I, yeah. I want to be clear about that. My entire top half, the top 50% of producers in my company, if I split the company right down the middle, have all transitioned to EXP. You can't, it, guys, look, just text the word EXP to 31996 and you'll see what we're talking about. It, here's, and I don't know if this entered it. I'm actually curious. I'm going to make this a question opposed to a statement, okay? Were you worried that once you realized what an amazing value proposition EXP offered to agents, were you worried as a broker that you either transitioned to EXP or your agents are eventually, if they hadn't already, been on the <laughs> EXP path? Uh, so I'm glad I asked the question. Was that on your radar, though? That's such a, that's such a great question. Yes. I remember sitting down with one of my partners. His name is Victor. And I looked at Victor, and I presented this opportunity to him, and I said, Victor, ha, what do you think about this, right? Like, they're coming anyway. Like, we could be the biggest, loudest launch in here in Miami. And he looked at me, and he said, Dave, my question to you, he says, I'll do whatever you think is best. You know, I've got your back. He says, but how upset would you be if somebody else did it and we lost half of our agents to that process? Yep, and I've had those conversations thought, with many brokers, David, and you will too. 
and you're going to say that to them, and you're going to hear the skepticism in their voices, and then they're going to call you back in six months, and they're going to tell you basically how their brokerage is essentially out of business because they didn't listen to you in the first place, and people had already exited, right? And they gone to AXP. That's what's own, happening in the country. I don't, I don't care if you ha- if you own a Remax, a KW, or you know John Smith Realty, or you know ABC Blocks Realty, like. I don't care what company you own. If EXP attacks your town and you lose, <laughs> you're top 10% you're of, your, of your brokerage. Yeah. You're done. You're done, 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 done. And and look, I, I have a plan. Like my plan, and I tell my wife, I said, I'm not going to stop till we're, we're, we're at six, you know, well, not that I'll stop, but I'm not going to rest until we're six figures a month. And, and, She's like, okay, my wife's fantastic, by the way. She's like, okay, whatever we got to do, let's get it done, right? And I, I I, said to her, I said, how crazy is it that we can potentially get to six figures a month in 12 to 18 months? And that would have taken us seven to eight years as a brokerage. Well, and let I'm me not, frame that out, okay? This, David, this, let me frame let it me out. Frame let me frame it out, out okay? Six figures profit. Yeah. Six figures profit, guys. This is a month. So he's talking about figures, listeners – He's talking about six-figure, over $100,000 a month from revenue share. That means it's money that's coming not from, a, not from transactions he's legally or otherwise responsible for. That means money that's transferred to him from EXP because of the, the, his efforts attracting agents. And, here's what, and, and so here's the interesting thing, guys. I have personally had on this podcast many people who uh, were skeptics. And they did. They were just like David and I. We are slow to pull the trigger. I took six years. So Julie and I took six years. So David, you're great. You're so much faster moving than Julie and I were. But when you start <laughs> realizing, when you start realizing how, like, we're the slow learners here. But when you start realizing what an amazing opportunity EXP is, not just from the perspective of, say, a, a coach or, a, you know, David, a you know, world class broker, but from the individual agent's perspective, what EXP has done, the genius behind it, aside from the fact that it's a kick ass brokerage that has best of everything that's available in the marketplace as far as tools for agents. It's second to none. You know, that just that is a that is a fact what I just said. But when you factor in the fa- in the revenue share, the way agents are in stock, frankly, like most of the agents David that you moved over, they won't they'll qualify for what uh, what's called icon status. So the total amount that they'll pay EXP for the year after they qualify for icon is going to be about $5,000. And people don't realize that. So when you have a EXP agent who is presenting to an EXP agent about joining EXP or to a non-EXP agent about joining EXP, even if they're not good at it, even if they're inefficient at it, here's maybe they've never presented before, they've never been able to present EXP, whatever. It doesn't matter. EXP sells itself because it's so phenomenal. Another interesting question, I don't know if you've had this one yet. What is what is your projection or what do you anticipate will happen with EXP if the market changes for the worse? If we go into some sort of noticeable recession, what do you think will happen with EXP then? It, so so here's so here's the funny part. When when I told my wife, I said, this is really easy to do. I'm just going to use the 10 by 10 rule, but I'm also going to be so much way ahead of anybody else that's thinking about the 10 by 10 rule as I tra- transition to my brokerage, right? So so I'm like a few steps ahead. But I said, if I get 10 people in and they each get 10 people in, then my max earning is like $350,000 for the year, right? And I said to her, I said, if the market takes a turn, and that decreases by fifty percent. I'm still at like a buck seventy-five. A passive. Year. That doesn't include yeah. any sales I'm doing or anything. That's passive, right? And I said to her, and if the market really takes a dump, I'm at like eighty, ninety a year, passively. I said, cool. Well, so here's my here's my theory. Dollars a year passively. She's like, of course yeah. we can. I said, well, then that's why we need to push hard because if the market right. takes a turn as curves of real estate, we won't survive. Well, and a lot of my, uh, the brokerages in Miami, those were the ones that were the hardest hit because the wealthy people were the ones that didn't have to sell. That's the irony of sell, uh, right. working with uh, ultra high end. They'll go like, market sucks. You're going to have to sell it for this reduced price. They're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll just hold it. And then they just turn the key, yeah. walk away, and go to one of their other houses or sit on their yacht for the next three years and wait for the recession to clear out. So, you, you know, right. people that are really wealthy or just, you know, millionaires, they're not that motivated even if they – there's no such thing as a have to sell because they have the money in another pocket. And that's what happens in markets like Miami. But the, the takeaway from all this – and here's an interesting – here's my spin on that question I just asked you. 
when the market does change, when the economy does noticeably change, EXP is going to thrive because all the brokerage that are marginally profitable, that are making margins like what you are making, they're the ones that are going to suffer the fastest. And what are they going to do? They're going to hit the eject button and they're going to go to EXP. Because what's going to happen is the pain of not going to EXP is going to be greater than the ego pain of fearing that they're losing their independence and you know all the things that you had to work through emotionally. And that's what's going to transpire over the next, in my opinion, eight 18 to 24 months across the country. So if you're listening to this right now and you're EXP curious, do the smart thing and just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. Hey, David, I really enjoy talking to you, man. You and I just like click right freaking away. It's so much fun. It is. It's great. I love it, man. I, I really appreciate being invited on the show, like more than you'll know. Uh, so here's what I want to do. What are the top three things that you're looking forward to in the next 12 months? And you know what? Are these three things different than if I'd asked you, say, before you transitioned? Have you already started thinking bigger? So what are the top three things you're looking forward to in the next uh, 12 months? And please, don't you don't have to be politically correct. If you want to be materialistic, go for it. Oh, no, definitely. So I had a conversation with Gene Frederick. I asked Gene, what's it like to make that much money a month? And he says, honestly, my wife and I are very conservative, so you'll never see us buy a Ferrari. And I said to him, don't worry. When I get mine, I'll give you a ride all over Miami, right? So <laughs> people have different goals. Don't worry about it. You don't have to buy one. I will have one. Don't worry. Uh, but look, over the next 12 months, I, I told my wife, there's a Rolls Royce in my future, right? So yep. my, my, lease in, my lease on my, my extra super long uh, Escalade is up in less than, a mo- that less than a year, just about a year. And when this lease is up, I want to go from this to Rolls Royce. So I'm glad we were able to get materialistic for a minute. The other part is uh, uh, with the amount of money that I intend to earn passively and through my team and through everything else, I want to start buying properties. So, um, And I want to invest in portfolios and things of that nature uh, because I believe in real estate. I sell it. I believe in it, you know, and and I believe that. No matter what happens in the world, people are always going to need a place to live. So I want to build my own rental portfolio if we want to get into, like, personal stuff. Business-wise, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pushing for, for, for a seven-figure year passively. That's what I'm really pushing well, for. So, so here's how strategic you are, maybe without knowing it. You basically have made all the right financial moves. You've cut your overhead. You've streamlined your business. You've created more, revenue, more pathways to massive amounts of profit through the decision to move over to EXP. Right? And at the same time, the buying opportunities that I'm sure you've been keeping your powder dry waiting for with regards to picking up assets, they're right around the corner. So, dude, you are perfectly they really poised are. to actually They're closer than I've they ever are. imagined. Is that cool? Uh, Is that a then, crazy and feeling? Then, and then, and then in the next, you know, twenty-four to forty-eight months, uh, you know, a little house in Puerto Rico might be in my future. So, there's that. You know, we live there, right? <laughs> we're in, we're, I, we're I in Puerto know. Rico. Did I you know do that? Know. I, yeah. I'm ultimately jealous. Trust me. Yes. Um, I yeah. love Puerto Rico. And, and by I, the way, my, my mother's Puerto Rican. I am Puerto Rican. So, you I know, uh, yeah. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to live there. And by the way, it's 85 in January here, too. I wasn't going to correct you on that when you said Miami, but in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so come down. Yeah, come down, man, anytime. Well, it's United States light here, if we're being honest. I mean, Puerto Ricans <laughs> definitely really do not consider themselves Americans. They definitely consider themselves Puerto Ricans, which is really interesting. Hey, man, listen, it's awesome. It's so, I'm so happy for your having made this decision. I'm really excited because I know there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to what you said, and you're going to inspire them. Um, and in my heart, here's where my thought goes. I hope there's people out there right now who were for a moment able to push past their own limiting beliefs about their, just their, the ego, how much it's been holding them back. He pushed past it. He realized that the only, it, there was no financial reason not to do it. There was no real – it was just emotions. It was just ego. It was just his worried about how other people would perceive him, which was total made-up bullshit because at the end of the day, they probably didn't even pay much attention to the fact that consumers that he moved – that he you know, aligned with EXP. He, he, they probably don't care. They're still going to do business with him, and the same thing's true with all of you. So what are you guys holding yourself back? Why are you, why are you not uh, taking advantage of this opportunity? Because I promise you, your agents are paying attention. And if you lose in your brokerage, if you lose your top 10%, maybe 20%, if you lose just you know, half of those people, what are you going to do when the market changes? You think you're going to be able to recruit top producers again? 
And when that essentially it's a snowball, they leave, other agents leave. I mean, look, that's what's happening. So pay attention. And so that's where my mind goes. That's where my heart is. I'm wondering if how many of you who should be doing what he did are actually going to do it before it's too late, or you're going to have to go through the painful learning curve of financially suffering and then doing it out of desperation before, you know, as of now, you could do it in a powerful position like he did. I mean, he did it strategically. EXP worked with him. They put a plan in place. He got all of his agents over. They just did it very methodically. It was, you know, I'm sure there were hiccups as there are anytime you're dealing with that many moving parts. But this is the move that many of you want to consider uh, making ASAP. Text the word EXP to 31996. EXP to 31996. Hey, David, man, you're a rock star. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that very much, and I appreciate the invite. And I'm hoping people out there are listening and thinking about, you know, what happens if changes happen. You know, I mean, I heard a story of a lady who her son got cancer. She had to stop selling real estate. She had about $5,000 a month in residual income coming in, and that helped her survive for over a year. Like those are the kinds of stories that people don't think about because everything's great and gravy right now. Um, you know, shit right. happens, guys. You know, so so when shit happens, are you are you are you prepared? And that's that's the real deal. Think about it. Just really sit back and think about it. That's cool. Hey man, come visit us the next couple months, okay? Absolutely. I'll be there in December. Oh, good. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I think it's on the 11th and the 12th, by the way. <laughs> All right, listeners, have a fantastic day. And if you need me for anything, as always, text me at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, David, thank you for being my co-host. And listeners, you can listen to our show replays anytime over on iTunes, Stitcher, or over on timandjulieharris.com. Have a fantastic day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. Thank you.